Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. In the spirit of the supernatural thriller season that it is, tra-la-la-la-la, I asked members of the Letharite One Inc. company about their beginnings in theatre, what scares them, and if there was a winter's night story, scene or song they'd like to share around the hearth of the Abbey Theatre fireplace. And there was. What follows is a series of mini-podcast bites that won't ruin your appetite. Enjoy these podcasts. Hi, so my name is Jamie Hallahan, and I play Johnny in Let the Right One In. And Johnny is the antagonist of the piece, really. He's kind of the classic bully in the situation. And I think really what we talked about in rehearsals is about the, the isolation that all the characters face every single day and, and what the characters do with that, what choices they make. And, you know, we see, you know, it's a very violent piece. It's a very gory piece at times. But really the interesting thing is that with, with Johnny and Mickey, it's kind of the only man-made unnecessary violence that we see in the play. So, unfortunately, that's that's what he does with with, with the silence that he, he deals with every day. He decides to, to pass um, horrible abuse onto a really vulnerable character. Uh, yeah, I'm still surprised that I got that part. Uh, and, and everyone keeps saying it to me, like, where are you cast as the bully? Um, I don't know, really. I, 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 I wasn't aware of the casting process, really. I, I got cast quite late. And um, it was just one of those, those situations where you read the casting brief and you see the character and... I could relate to it though, you, you know, I, I grew up in the country in a very small town, so I understand, I suppose, how at times your mind can become frayed or, or you can kind of get lost in that silence very, very easily. Like I remember like looking out the window at home and all, just all you can see are just trees and darkness and rain sometimes. And I myself at times was kind of bullied in school, so instantly when I read Johnny, I knew who he was or who I thought he could be. And so then I went in for the audition and I guess rather than do the maybe like a stereotype bully of someone who's just hammering away all the time, try and play someone who's who is suffering and who is incapable of communicating his problems and someone who is just very multidimensional. And he's still a character. I mean, it's a real it sounds like a cliche, but it is a real gift of a character and especially a gift of such a long run like this that you can you can explore things in week one in rehearsal and I think at the end of the run there'll still be things where you go oh yeah I never thought about that I never realised maybe that's behind that line as well um, yeah and another interesting thing that we talked about is the why why does he bully Oscar and part of it it's probably not, not the full thing but I wonder is there a sexuality question especially there's a scene where he does get kind of graphic to the point where the other character, Mickey, is like, right, I need to get out of this situation. Yeah, there's so much to him that makes him more than just, you know, a stereotypical bully. And I'm really lucky. I mean, I've been auditioning for the Abbey for years, but I'm, I'm quite lucky to have had a, a great career, I suppose. In the first few years, I remember just getting a lot of small touring theatre gigs. And as well, my first gig was in the O'Reilly in Belvedere and I remember standing on that for the first time in 2012 going well the Abbey have been here before so this is kind of like being in the Abbey this is like a practice run at it so when I came in here I didn't feel scared or overwhelmed and as well the rehearsal process was so quick and intense there was no time to think of God it's the National Theatre and, and the weight of all the you know the history and everything is on you you just get in there get through the tech and then do the first free preview and hit the ground running really uh, yeah, it's a funny one. I still don't know why, but I, I always knew from day one that I wanted to be an actor. I, it was always my answer when, you know, the aunts and uncles asked you, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. And I remember being three, four, and just saying, I want to be an actor. I kind I grew up in front of the TV, and again, in my imagination, because, you know, the area is so so small and so isolated. It's a village called Balavorny, 
and it's in the Gwaeltacht. Um And it's a lovely, lovely little community. It's A lot of people refer to it as just a road because they have to drive through it to get to Killarney or the bigger towns. Um, but it was it was a community where you really felt safe. It kind of reminds me of the Shire or something like that. Um, and yeah, I just knew from day one. And then over time, I suppose you become a little bit more practical in school and... You know, everyone wants to, I don't know, be an astronaut or or play for uh, Man United. So they try and kind of careen you into something a bit more practical. And then it wasn't until I was 16 and I had to pick my subjects for the Leaving Cert and and figure out, you know, what college course I was going to do. And uh, something was just telling me I couldn't keep just going into the education system because I just felt that being sat down at a desk and memorising things and writing essays just didn't suit me at all. I had to be on my feet or maybe doing something outdoors. Uh, and my dad is also self-employed, so I think that kind of, that gene is in me and my brother. And I just, I kept fighting back and saying, no, I'm not going to go to college. And uh, eventually it was my mother who copped that I wanted to be an actor and that I wasn't brave enough to say it. So I remember one day in the kitchen, she said, you want to be an actor, don't you? And I said, I do, yeah. And she goes, well, OK, well, we'll figure out how, how do you become an actor? And so then we just started Googling and I found the best classes I could do were with the Gaty School of Acting part-time in Cork. But it meant every Saturday I had to get an hour-long bus into town and then do a two-hour class and then get the bus back. So I just kind of threw myself into it and I was very lucky that straight away I got up on my feet and I loved it and I clicked and I knew, right, this is it. I'd done some like really small, terrible school plays and I, I kind of felt like, even though I was doing them, I knew I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I knew this wasn't what acting was. And it, uh, the the weirdest thing was, and I've, I've talked to a lot of actors about this, um, the first time where I really felt like I was in front of an audience and there was this big, amazing energy in the room was serving as an altar boy when I was 10. And I remember, so many actors have said this, that moment where you step out of the sacristy and it's a Saturday night and the whole congregation stands up and you're like, yeah. We're gonna do it. <laughs> you feel like you've, you've got a show, you've got your things to do, you've got like you have to ring the bell or you have to do whatever with the wine, and you just feel like you are shit hot. And that was the feeling of you know what? I could do this. I could definitely do this. Well, be an actor, not be not be a priest. Um, yeah. But it's weird that even though uh, as I was doing like the little speech and drama classes, I kind of at that age knew that this isn't the acting that I want to do. This is kind of something else, and I kind of felt like. If, because I was so shy then, I knew that if I put my hand up and tried to go for one of the parts, I knew I didn't have the confidence to do it and I would have failed. And I think it would have set me back. I knew I, I, I didn't want to go for it until I was ready. It felt more like keep the kids away from the house for another hour or something to give the parents peace of mind. Or uh, it was something for the teacher to do just to break up the day. And I remember the ones who did play those parts, they were always like the, the cheeky people in class or the loud ones. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess I held acting to such a high standard in my, my little brain that I just didn't want to go for it yet. Or else maybe I was just too crippled by shyness. I always had my favourite actors. I remember mom showing me, and the reason why I think she was able to suggest acting so quickly was because she's just a huge film buff. And she would give me like The Godfather when I was a kid and, and just see my eyes just completely explode at how amazing it was. In a really weird way, she also worshipped Roy Keane because he was, you know, this this young man from Cork who just pushed through everything and similar to Conor McGregor he's not always the most pleasant guy but he's so determined and so insanely talented and hardworking. and to come from a part of Cork like Mayfield to then being on the world stage of you know 
one of the biggest sports in the world. And I, I got to meet him when I was a kid. He was doing a book signing in town. And I just remember looking up at him thinking like he was this god. But yeah, that was in a weird way. I never liked sports as a kid, but I always recognised that if Roy Keane can play soccer for Man United and come from Mayfield and be who he is and be completely fearless and confident and and just have the balls to do things the way that he wants to have them done, I thought, well, I definitely have a chance. But I was also lucky that Balavorny is such a rich part of the world or it's such a rich part of Ireland when it comes to, to culture. Um, not just because of the Gwail Tuck, but there used to be um, recording studios there and like U2 and Mary Black and Christy Moore, all these people used to, you know, live in the village for a while and record music before I was born, I think. But And as well, even even in the, the Irish-speaking world, it's it it's a goldmine. Yeah, my, me and my brother always knew that we had to get out of the village if we wanted to really pursue what we wanted to do, which is inherently a sad thing. And then a funny relationship happens where you leave and as soon as you leave, you look back and you go, God, that was amazing. Like, everything I had was incredible. And speaking Irish is a big part of that. Like, I hated, I resented having to do everything through Irish in school because I never thought in a million years I'm ever going to use Irish when I leave secondary school. And then my first acting gig was in Irish. My first TV gig was in Irish. And it was only in the Gaiety School of Acting in Dublin when I was doing the full-time course that I realised I have a uh, an ability and a skill and a gift that no one else here has. And I realised I had this responsibility to, to carry it and help push it and, and to see how can I act through it because I wasn't really aware of any theatre companies or, or, or what TG Cahar were doing or how amazing TG Cahar's work is um, so as soon as I left initially the plan was to you know obviously go to America go to Hollywood or whatever and then maybe go to London and then I realised actually I love Dublin and I love Cork I love Galway and I love Irish stories and I think there's a lot more we can do with them and a part of that is through through Irish so I knew I wanted to leave but I didn't go very far <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy with that I remember as a child being absolutely terrified by the puka and the banshee and I remember there is um, like the the patron saint of Balavorny is uh, St. Goblet and where her relic where her church is and where the graveyard is there is this bust of a man a stone bust of a man in the wall and he's really hard to see, but you have to look through a window and you look up and you see him there and it is absolutely terrifying. So the Puka and the Banshee, I remember just hearing all these stories of like, you know, a loved one dying and then all you can hear in the night is this wailing woman. And I remember as a kid, me and my brother would play this game in the middle of the night where we would have to hide from the Banshee. <laughs> and it'd be like six o'clock in the morning during the winter nights and it's absolutely pitch dark outside and the Banshee is around the house trying to get us. Yeah, just always, I did always, that, is that a thing that just happens in the country or is it a city thing? But yeah, I really felt growing up that you had the, the spirits of the area. And as well, I remember learning about the famine in school and my mom telling me, yeah, sure, there's dead bodies everywhere around here. I'm just going, oh my God, everything is haunted. Everything is terrifying. And uh, we had um, this really big abandoned Christian Brothers boarding school in the middle of Balavorny that I passed every day going to school and uh, they ended up shooting Song for a Reggae Boy there. And I remember walking around the grounds and then eventually getting the chance to go inside the building and uh, still, that still terrifies me passing it every single day. There's, I don't know what could have happened there but there's definitely a, a terrifying energy that's just palpitating. It's just, you can definitely feel it in the walls. I remember when I was a kid, I think I was about maybe four and I still don't know what happened. I don't know 
was it a genuine experience or was it some kind of sleep paralysis? But I remember I used to wake up and I used to have the door open and the, the light on in the hall. And I remember waking up and looking at the door and just seeing this, this like specter or this vision. And I, uh, you know, my bed was just surrounded with toys and I pick up the toys and I just remember screaming and throwing all my toys at the door. And no one woke up like my parents were in the next room and they didn't wake up, they didn't come in to hear what had happened. And then I fell asleep. And I woke up and I thought, well, did that actually happen? And then I looked down and all my toys were at the foot of the door. So I was like, I still don't know what happened, really. But I do have that feeling that there could have been something there. Yeah. So, yeah, for uh, A Winter's Poem, this was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, it's a poem called Iha Nolikdaman, and it's by Sean O'Riordan, and it translates into uh, Women's Christmas. So, yeah, just to give an idea of the poem and uh, its context, Sean O'Riordan uh, was a poet uh, who was born in Balavorni and... For all of his adult life, he suffered from tuberculosis. So he spent decades very slowly dying and, and living in quarantine in his house with his family or else living in a sanitarium and just spending all his time in bed writing just this incredibly vivid, amazing, living poetry in the Irish language. And so this is one particular poem that actually does deal with the idea of death. A rare Iha Nolignaman Askal Tach Irgulta Talashtir than Ray Is the Scrake Treed and Spare Hung Nagelt Gurgias Gati Corson Margugaluk Gay Gurvor Awing Lydonach Marharav Gurmuka Machwinel Marvilla Ermavale Alasna Splunk Oben Anarag a wallung a juchuch on storm shin fain, on ehe, commits a galag. Ig filla walla or inkun tail, is solace and faca ig dolas. Gilin fi gach nomet, le lurig on spare. Ginin fi den down, scorn is scrad. Is not clushing on cunus, igluschucht fa mien. Na inland glushtan, ig stud. Women's Christmas. There was power in the storm that escaped last night. Last night on Women's Christmas. From the desolate mad house behind the moon. And screamed through the sky at us, lunatic. Making neighbours' gates screech like geese. And the hoarse river roar like a bull. Quenching my candle like a blow to the mouth. That sparks a quick flash of rage. I'd like that storm would come again, a night I'd be feeling weak, coming home from the dance of life and the light of sin dwindling, that every moment be full of the screaming sky, that the world would be a storm of screams, and I wouldn't hear the silence coming over me, the car's engine coming to a stop.